The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They are creating businesses that really add value to others, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with Chris Cooper. If you're looking for ways to develop your entrepreneurial spirit while you contribute to a better world, you'll want to stay tuned for the next hour. Now, here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com and I'm delighted to uh, be back with you again uh, this week. And our show is entitled Straight Talking, uh, Practical Lessons from an Extraordinary Walk of Life with our guest today, Chris White, a saxophonist from the Straits and formerly Dire Straits. Before we get into the show today, I just want to very briefly say a thank you to Roger Harrop for um, his excellent contribution on the show last week about profitable growth. Um, so moving away from profitable growth, let's uh, talk and move into the world of music and take some inspiration from there this week. So I wonder, have, have you ever dreamed, uh, maybe like myself, of being a rock star and touring the world? You know, if you have, you're not alone. Um, I, I'm a, an average guitar player and I've always appreciated really appreciated the dedication and the musicianship required to play in a truly great band. Now, as a teenager, I grew fascinated by music and I dreamed of playing music for a living, but, you know, struggled at the time, I guess, to uh, find the the kind of music and the mentorship and that that kind of thing to really take it beyond being a hobby. Um, Maybe you can relate to that. And I continued to love great music by artists such as Dire Straits and Pink Floyd and Paul McCartney, the Rolling Stones and various other heavier rock acts. My guest on this show, however, has achieved the musician's dream. Chris White's first real break in the music industry uh, apparently came in 1981 when he was asked to play on Nick Haywood's album, North of a Miracle. Now, following this success, his reputation continued to build and he was asked to play and record with artists such as Paul McCartney, Aztec Camera, The The and Mark Knopfler. And the latter led to what he's best known for, and that's the saxophone sound of Dire Straits. His work with the band included the Brothers in Arms and Every Street World Tours, the On Every Street and On the Night albums and the legendary Live Aid and Mandela concerts. If you get a chance just to Google Chris White saxophone Romeo and Juliet, you'll see just how incredible his playing is. Um, There's a video in there. The one I I, I looked at was from 1993. It had over half a million views, and it deserves more. Um, Recently, Chris also guested on two of Mark Knopfler's solo albums, and outside of this association, he's recorded and toured with many artists, including Joe Cocker, Ray Charles, and, and Robbie Williams. He's now also assembling material for his second album of original work, as well as performing live around the world with The Straits. So if you want to hear Dire Straits music played live, check out the tour dates. 
Now today, you know, we're um, a, a business show, and I, and I wanted to, therefore to talk with Chris about the practical lessons from his remarkable life in music, you know, including you know how he acquired mastery of the saxophone. Because we all have to you know, acquire mastery of things during um, our careers and the things that we're all doing. And dealing with challenging people, uh, teams, and, and how he manages his nerves. I think we can all learn things from people who've acquired wisdom on their travels. Now, if you're uncomfortable speaking, for example, in front of a small group, then imagine 1.9 bill- billion sorry, viewers at Live Aid that saw Chris. And it might just put things into perspective. If you're away from your family on business for a week or two and missing them, then what must it be like to be on tour with your team night after night for 16 months? A a, a huge welcome to Chris White. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. How are you this evening? I'm very good, thank you. Blushing slightly from your your wonderful introduction there, but on good form, thanks, Chris. Well, all all deserved, Chris. That's (laughs) your... But anyway, <laughs> so, so I wonder, Chris, maybe we could start with, you know, understanding what the spark was that really ignited your interest in music and the saxophone in your sort of childhood years. <laughs> yes. Well, um, Chris, I, I always liked music. In fact, as a, as a young kid, I was often told off uh, tapping my foot when I was listening to Top of the Pops and things like that. Um, and I was always dead keen to hear the next Beatles or Roy Orbison record or release. And uh, but, but I remember the one track which really, really sticks in my mind as starting things was a track by The Shadows <laughs> called Apache, uh, which I thought was an amazing track. And um, at that point, I went, lots of drums on that track for people who don't know it. And at that point, I was convinced I should be a drummer. Um, then later on in school, I, 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 um, I was offered the chance to start playing violin, so I did, uh, and found that I could do it, but I, I didn't love it. Uh, and then a little while after that, um, I saw someone, maybe John Dankworth, uh, playing saxophone on TV one night, and went back to school the next day and said, I saw this, somebody playing saxophone, I'd love to do that, have you got one? And, uh, and there was one in a cupboard, <laughs> so I took that home. Um, and then really what, uh, what, what kicked it off was, was hearing Junior Walker, uh, roadrunner at a fairground. I just, that, just thought that was amazing. And that was, uh, that was me into it really then. Fantastic. Well, whereabouts were you brought up, Chris? What was your background? Uh, yeah, I was brought up in Bristol. Um, I went to a state school. Dad was a docker. Mum was a cleaner at the school. Uh, so, so music was, um, a bit of a new departure, really, for for the family. And were they were they surprised for you to be interested in this this saxophone? It's uh, you know a, a, a big intru- instrument, and not not something that um, you know lots of people naturally seem to seem to go for. You know, I guess the the sort of guitars and the drums and things like that tend to be a bit more of a first choice. Yeah, I th- I think I think that's right, and that was that was definitely happening then. Um, we're talking. Oh, when are we talking? Sort of mid mid sixties, really. Um, so there was still we were sort of in a crossover period. Yeah, the Beatles were happening and all that stuff, but there was still uh, some big bandy type stuff around. Um, so they'd 
my mum and dad had really liked the idea that I'd got on with violin. So the fact that I wanted to go on to saxophone was, I think they thought was, was, was okay, really. Um, they weren't so keen that I dropped the violin, but I did pretty quickly. And the, the first instrument I ever learned to play or tried to play was the clarinet. And uh, ah. I, I, <laughs> I, I remember the, uh, just constantly asking my parents to buy me new reeds. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, reeds. I was uh, always buying reeds for the saxophone. I have a clarinet, but I refuse to play it because I play it so badly. So many people play it much better than I do. I just refuse to get it out now. <laughs> so so m- many people, you know, they maybe establish a passion in younger years, but they don't follow it through. I mean, you can really follow it through into your career. What made you decide to to follow this passion for the saxophone and, and make it your career. Yeah. Well, I mean, very quickly after starting to play saxophone, I, I just became obsessed with it, Chris. Um, I, I couldn't leave the thing alone, playing at every opportunity. Um, as, I, as I progressed through school, I, I managed to achieve a few things academically, and, and um, there was talk of going to university or college, uh, which was also quite a new thing for for where I came from, to be honest, at that time. And nobody from my family had been to college university. So I, I had people, teachers and, and, and relations saying, really, you should go go to university or go to college and, and you know, at least have a, like an insurance policy. So actually, I did do that. And I went and did a, a social sciences degree. But to be perfectly honest, the only reason I did it was because I was absolutely convinced from 14 that I was going to be a saxophonist. And the only reason I went to to college was to move from Bristol to London so that I could be in London and start playing and playing around London. Did did you, uh, when when I talk to many people who have, uh, you know, maybe found their vocation early on and went on to great success... What they tended to do was uh, spend a lot of time kind of visualizing and imagining that success before it happened. Uh, was that the same for you at 14? Were you starting to imagine what this could turn into? I think, I don't know if I was imagining that. I just, I just knew that I absolutely loved playing the saxophone and that really <laughs> there wasn't anything else I wanted to do. Um, so I... I, I'm sure I dreamed uh, about about being successful, but at, at that point, really, I, I guess, uh, and coming from where I came from, being successful would have been earning, just earning a living, being able to get by playing saxophone rather than have to go and join my dad on the docks or something like that. Um, the, the the saxophone, I know, um, you know, it's it's known for being a very difficult instrument to play well. There's some research that, and a book that some of the listeners may know by Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about 10,000 hours to to master, uh, you know, something to be able to do it really, really well. I mean, wow. what what thoughts do you have for people who might wish to excel at something, you know, when and it, something may seem very challenging? And I guess, um, you know, I guess you must have put 10,000 hours into your saxophone work I'm, with you. I'm not sure I'm not sure I know I, I can't I'm just trying to work out what 10,000 hours is in terms of days and I can't do the I can't do the maths <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like far too much have I been alive that long <laughs> uh, um, I, I, well one thing to say about that is I, I don't know how much time I put in I just put in all the time I could because I wanted to 
So I, I don't know, and, and, and it didn't matter. I, I, I just knew that I wanted to do it, and, and the challenge of it, I guess you kind of take things as they come, and, and you, I, I welcomed the challenges. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, to get beyond the next stage, you know, and, 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 and somebody gave me some good advice at one point, which was that, you know, once you, if you get, if you get to get through one of, one of the challenges and you, you get that buzz because you've achieved, achieved that thing or moved on to the next bit playing for me, being able to play something I couldn't play before. And the advice was, well, great, but don't get stuck there. Make sure once you've done it, don't keep practicing what you can do. Go on to the next thing. Keep moving on. Keep moving on to things you, you can't do. So I think, I kind of think, really, I had no choice. I, I, had, to, I had to pursue this thing. It was, it was what I was, it's what I'm here for, really. Uh, it's what I was supposed to be doing. And I just think if, if you I was incredibly lucky to, to discover saxophone at 14 and, and have just know that that was what I wanted to do. I was, that was an incredibly lucky thing. I think I was very lucky to have that. But I think if people have a passion for something, it's kind of saying, you know, you, you, need to, you need to investigate this more and see where it can lead you because it can lead you somewhere. Well, in my case, it's just been incredible, really. I've had a fantastic time. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go over to a commercial break now, so we shall be um, back with you again in just a couple of minutes and we'll find out more about uh, you know, things like what it's like to be in front of a huge audience and uh, Maybe some tips on uh, dealing with your nerves and, uh, and interesting personalities. So do join us again after the break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of Be More, Achieve More again. I'm with my guest, uh, Chris White, uh, formerly of Dire Straits. And uh, we were talking before the break about um, about kind of following your, your passion. And, uh, you know, Chris was talking about the importance of his, he identified a clear passion and he, he took action on it and followed through. And I guess, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's never too late to uh, follow through on something that you really love. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I really interested to ask you Chris because I guess not too many people get to experience this um, but I wonder you know what's it what is it like to be in front of a, a huge audience as a top class musician you know what does it feel like in 
to be performing in front of audiences like those at Live Aid and the Nelson Mandela concert and the Diana concert and those we did with Dire Straits? It, it feels great, Chris. Um, it it really feels great. Uh, it, it to me, it's not scary. You walk out on stage, you see those faces, and mostly what you see is smiling faces, and you, it goes on for for a long, long way back. And and the great thing is, every, really, everyone's there to have a good time. So the atmosphere kind of spurs you on. Uh, Live Aid was, was an incredible, incredible day, and and if you, I think in those situations, if you can come off stage uh, feeling feeling like people have had a good time and you've had a good time, then I think that's that's just great. You know, every it's a real win-win situation. Um, the, the most difficult situations are a couple of times. Friend, friends have said to me, "Come to this party and bring your saxophone along, and we'll we'll have a little jam in the in the living room." Mate, that's just something I can't do. It really that scares the pants off me, actually. So big audiences are fine by me. <laughs> um, actually, just interesting. I watched the Live Aid video or DVD, and ah. uh, and I just I found it very you know really interesting with the uh, the role that you play, kind of in that team. You know, the Live Aid video, for the most of the first track, you're kind of dancing and you're playing the tambourine, but you really, really come into your own in the second track. And, and it's interesting, you're kind of playing a supporting role, but then sometimes you go into kind of a leadership role. And I just wonder how that, you know, how that feels compared to someone like you know, Mark Knopfler, who's there up front all the time. Um, yes, it's... Well, that was, that, was, that, was my, that was my role in, in, in Dire Straits. It was to to do some percussion and some backing vocals on, on some things and then step forward and, and actually share the front of the stage quite often with Mark. So it was, it was fine. It was, uh, it was great to be, it was great to have the opportunity to step forward actually and, and go out the front and do stuff like that. Um, up to that point, I think my career had mostly been playing solos, but very much, as part as a as a kind of backing player, if you like, um, so it, it was it was great, and it felt I didn't have a I didn't have a problem with with switching between the two. It was absolutely fine. Uh, you, you said that you you didn't ever get really get nervous, um, uh. except for maybe playing in someone's living room. But I mean, did you, did you ever? I, I I've been to huge concerts, and I've seen the the leading act sort of flying in in their helicopter. I mean. Did you ever sort of look down the size of those audiences and think, "Crikey, yeah, I've got to be on there soon"? Yeah, it's not. Yes, uh, well, I've said. Uh, I, I often say I don't get nervous. I think thinking about it since we last spoke, possibly I do a bit. I, I definitely get an adrenaline rush uh, before a gig, which is probably a mixture of nerves and excitement. It hits me in if it's nerves. It hits me in about the. 15 to 10, 10 to 15 minutes before we go on stage. Up to that point, it's absolutely fine. But at that point, I know I've done some preparation. I've done, I've, I've done my warm-up exercises on the horn, and I know that at that point, for that 10 or, or 15 minutes, I know I go quiet. And I know I pace a little bit, and I'm aware that people know it and don't come and talk to me during that time. So, yeah, there's still some, even after this time, there's something that goes on. But... But I think that's good for performing. You know, you, I, I'd hate to walk on there feeling complacent or, or, or smug about it, really. 
Is, is that more sort of getting yourself into the zone, really? To I think so, yeah, I think it is. I think it is, really, yes. Now, I imagine, you know, you've, you've played with some incredibly well-known people. I mean, you've yeah. mixed with some very interesting personalities during your career. And, you know, I wonder, wonder what it's, your advice is when maybe you're, you're finding that there you are know, some different challenges between um, different people, um, particularly when you're spending a lot of time together. Um, you know, do you ever have you ever experienced kind of personality clashes, or or maybe say when you're in the recording studio, uh, having challenges when you've got a problem kind of to solve a, a piece to create, but maybe you've got different opinions. Yeah, no, that's happened. That's definitely happened. I mean, uh, to, personality clashes are are, are not that frequent on 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 tour. Um, Touring is not for every musician, actually. That's clear. And, and quite early in, in careers, people find out whether they like touring or not. And those who do like it kind of have a, a general mentality or personality which allows them to, to kind of get along, rub along easily with people. So that, that doesn't happen so much. Um, in, in studio situations, um, some of my career has been as a session musician where people would call and say, we've got this track. Can you come and can you come and put a saxophone solo on it? So there was a lot. Well, very fortunately, there was a lot of that that, that I did, and uh, quite often people know what they want and they have a very clear idea of what they want. So then, what they want you to do is to put your interpretation or your style of playing, which they know, on that. Which and that's that's love. And that always is is a great thing to do and a joy to do. Not always easy. But uh, usually between the, the producer or the artist and, 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 and me, we work something out and come up with something we're, we're happy with. Um, there have been a couple of occasions where we're really, well, two things really. Um, one artist I worked with uh, uh, and had worked with on a couple of his albums had a track where he wanted saxophone, but he didn't know what he wanted it to do. And we spent... We spent a long while trying different things. I tried all the things that I knew I could do. And, uh, and really, I think what he wanted was a different player. And actually, we got to the point where, where I didn't think, I felt that whatever I did wasn't going to be right that day. So I did suggest to him that maybe on this occasion I wasn't the right guy for it. And I don't. One doesn't want to to have that. That feels like a failure. But actually, I don't think it is. I think it's actually it's actually right if to say, you know what, I don't think I'm the man for this. I think you need somebody else. And I think actually, I think I know in that case, I think he actually wanted Clarence Clemens. And do you think he wanted him from the outset? Yeah, I think yeah. he did. Really, he did. And I, I, I still, I, I still know this person, and I, I, I kind of talk to them, not frequently, but, but uh, from time to time. And I have suggested that maybe you should have got Clarence for that one. He just laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> he was, the, he was the, uh, saxophone player. He played with Bruce Springsteen, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, he sadly died a little while back. Yes. Uh, um, so, and I guess that you know, there's an interesting point there for um, probably a lot of people who are listening who maybe uh, you know w- work. In a kind of supply relationship with the customers, yeah. and that sometimes uh, 
you know, the best thing to do is if your service isn't exactly spot on for the client or you think it might not be, it can be quite, um, you know, it can be quite impressive for a client when actually you say, well, you know, maybe um, I know somebody who's a bit better for this uh, and take it on the chin. You know, I think I think that I think that's right. I think that. Um, in fact, I was talking to Sam. But you know, the singer Sam Brown. Do you know Sam? She had a. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to Sam about that. I was working with her uh, on on a, a new project um, two, just over a week ago, and we were talking about this. And she does the same thing. She's done it a few times. She's gone into sessions <laughs> where, as a kind of backing singer or or guest guest artist and. It's just not right for her voice. And she has also said to people, actually, I think you need and suggested and named other singers. Uh, and I think, actually, I think people respect that in, in the end. And just for anybody who's listening, I think Sam Brown, was it she had a single? Was it Stop or Stay? Stop. Stop. Yeah, yeah. Stop. Stop, that was it. And she, she was backing vocals for Pink Floyd, isn't it? She did, yeah. She did backing vocals for for Pink Floyd. Uh, over here, she she worked for a long while with with um, with Jules Holland's band, uh, as well as her own. Sadly, uh, Sam had a problem about four years ago. She lost her voice, and she actually she she hasn't been able to sing for four years, which is a uh, uh, probably a program in itself, right there, Chris. Can, can she talk? Still? Yes, she can talk. She can talk. And, and actually, when I saw her the other day, uh, we were talking about it. And I think it's, I think it's a great tragedy because I think she's one of the greatest voices we've, we've produced in this country. And um, somebody, she was doing a radio uh, broadcast and somebody called in, a, a chiropractor called in and said, I think I know what's wrong with Sam's voice and suggested that there's a bone called the homunculus or something in your throat, which is a floating bone, uh, that it had got. Dislo- uh, got shifted and um, she went to see him or, or her, I'm not sure and uh, it's working so there's hope that she's going to get her voice back which will be fantastic oh, Fantastic, well we send her our very best wishes for Great. a recovery and uh, get that voice back again because she has got a fabulous voice I mean, to Fabulous Sing backing vocals on for Pink Floyd and things like that. some of those songs are pretty tough, aren't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah <laughs> Big voice, though, Sam had. Mm, incredible. Well, we're going to go um, to another commercial break now, um, but we'll be back again after the break. And uh, I'd like to you know, have a chat with you about how you managed to keep yourself grounded and, uh, and also um, you know, some of the things about teamwork. And, uh, and I know a very challenging thing that happened to you personally and how you got over that. So we'll come cool. back um, in another couple of minutes after the break. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is uh, Chris Cooper of uh, BeMoreAchievemore.com again. I'm with, uh, with Chris White. And if you want to find out more information about uh, you know, ongoing uh, shows, um, do um, subscribe to my newsletter at BeMoreAchievemore.com and I'll give you, you know, updates of what's, what's coming up and key tips and uh, thoughts and ideas that might improve your, your business and, uh, and what you achieve. So, um, uh, Chris, we were talking before the break about, um, about you know, dealing with uh, different people in different sort of situations. And you know, one of the things I've really noticed, you know, we spent a little bit of time together planning this Skype call, uh, so this interview over Skype. And, and I've been really struck by what a very genuine person you are. Um, it's my, my perception. And, and I wonder, you know, in business and life, when people reach positions of power, it does sometimes go to their head. And I just wonder, in your situation where you, at, at times you must have had thousands of adoring fans, how do you keep yourself grounded? Um, well, thank you for saying all that. Um, I, I'm not quite sure I've always kept myself grounded, to be honest, but um, I think I think on the whole I have. Um, I'm thinking of one, one occasion in particular where on one of the, uh, I think it was the first, uh, the Brothers in Arms tour, we did, we, we did something like 36 consecutive gigs in 28 city, across 28 cities in Europe. And at the end of that, I just think everybody was a bit loopy, to be honest with you. So um, I think we all went a bit, bit mad at that point. I think, yeah, I think it's right, of course. We all... I've seen it happen to people around me and, and, and mates who, who to kind of get a bit lost out there. And you're right, it is. It's it can turn your head. You have people telling you you're good every night. You do a show, people come up happy and want to buy you a drink and talk and, and talk about your playing. Um, I think for me, I think my background has helped me help help me stay grounded. Certainly, um, where I come from. People, people had to grow up pretty hard to earn a living, and uh, and, I, and and you know the fact that I found I found music and I found saxophone playing enabled me to to lead a different kind of life. So I think I do try to remember that I'm very privileged and lucky in that sense. Um, in fact, I remember Tom jo- Tom Jones uh, talking about his family when he when he first made some money. Uh, he bought a fast car, which he crashed on Park Lane in London, and it made the newspapers. And the very next day, he had his mum and dad on the phone saying, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> you were down the pit a year ago. You can go back down there, you know, just keep your head on, son, and things like that. So that, that, was, it. that was a good thing. Um, I think my background really helped there. Uh, I think also I know I'm lucky to be playing – I know I try to keep in touch with people at home if I'm out for a long time um, because that, that also keeps you grounded. It's less of a problem for me now because I'm older and, uh, and I, don't, I don't want to lose what, what I've got and what I've achieved. But I, it's, it's, it's a real problem. It's a real problem for people, uh, it's particularly if you're young and you get success. You get a lot of success when you're young. And I guess also if you, you get you, you get married and then you're going off on tours or you've got children back at home and it must be quite challenging. 
That's that's really a touring. Touring is very stressful. It sounds very romantic, and people people always say it must be great to be going around the world for a year and a half. Well, we I was out there for about uh, for sixteen months, and had in that sixteen months I had ten days at home, and I didn't have children at that point, but I was married. Um, my my wife was uh, was an actress, so she had a he had she had her own career going on. Um, but it was incredibly stressful. Um, I tried to get her out as often as I could. We got through that one, but I, I have to, I have to confess, we it, it didn't, it didn't stand the test of time. So it's, um, it's a profession which is, which is tough, particularly on relationships. Yes, I, I know for myself, when I, I've only been away from, uh, from home for you know a couple of weeks at a time. But even just a couple of weeks, it can. You, you come back and there's just an, there's an awkwardness, you know. And the mic, yes. you, you, you're on the phone having a conversation, you know, late at night uh, yes. after a long day, and there's just uh, neither of you want it, but there's a sense of awkwardness. Uh, I think that I think that's absolutely right. I've, I've, I've certainly noticed that. Even now, I have, a, I have a partner now, and if I go away, I was away for a month recently with the Straits, and and coming back, it took it took a day or two to to ease back into each to ease back into the relationship and, and, and kind of feel our way around it. And you're right, nobody wants it. But I think, I, I just think it happens. It's, I, I try to, um, my, my, my new girlfriend, uh, well, newish girlfriend, uh, I try to take to bring her out if, I, if I'm out for a, for a long while. And that, that definitely helps just to touch base with each other at some point during it. That's, that's one, one of your tips is to bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out if you can. If you can afford it, bring them out. Yeah, definitely. I, I do definitely. one or two speakers who who love, you know, travel all around the world and they take their partners with them. Yeah. They travel from place to place and uh, and they love it. But it's not so easy when you've got a six year old and a two year old like myself. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, so, no. so playing in a you know in a great band you know requires incredible teamwork and you know timing and execution and you know what are your thoughts on building a really close-knit high-performing team yeah um i think well you have to do that and i think i think for me the key the key for that is 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 treating people with respect i'm very lucky i've always always been in the company of really players much better than myself so really really great players so, of course, treat everyone with respect. And I think if the problems can occur, of course they can, you know, and, and, and there can be little clashes. And I th- for me, the secret is to talk about it. Don't let things fester. Get stuff out there, you know, you know be honest with, with empathy, if you like, and, and, and uh, just talk it through. And I think things can always be sorted out. And that, w- that way you, you keep the team, you keep the team alive and everybody respects everybody. And therefore everybody gives their best and everybody recognizes that everybody's giving their, their best and appreciates it. And I think if you get that kind of feedback from the team you're working with, I think that's really valuable. Do, do you, uh, I mean, do you think, is that one of your ways of staying grounded? I mean, you said there that you, you played in teams with people who are much better than you. I read yeah. a little review of your solo album, and somebody had said, "You know, people say Kenny G is the best saxophone player in the world. Well, actually, he isn't. Chris White is." <laughs> <laughs> you that? know, the thing is, I think you're you're right. The, the other thing is, you, there's always someone better than you. 
there's always somebody out there who can do something you can't do. And, and that, I'm not competitive about that with, I've never have been with other people, with other players. I'm competitive with myself. This is a, this is a journey about, for me, being the best player, the best musician I can be. And, and that's not being competitive with other people. And there always will be somebody out there who's better. And thank goodness, because I need someone, we all need someone to learn from. Yeah, I think it's one of the you know, kind of premises that sits behind Be More, Achieve More. It's about being the best that you can be. Uh, yes. And sometimes, I guess, at that, you know, that level that you are, it becomes very difficult to distinguish between people. Um, um, yeah, I'd, poss- yes, possibly. Uh, as I say, it's, it's a, it becomes... A band is a band and it's a group of people, but actually what, what, what we all contribute is down to what we do individually. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the challenge we set ourselves to between ourselves and our instrument, I think. That's, that's, that's where the real work gets done. Yeah, yeah. That, that then enables you to contribute in a, in a musical and appropriate way to whichever band or setting you're in, really. I guess it's it's a bit it's like uh, I suppose you know a sporting event, isn't it? It's it's an individual yeah. battle, but it's also a team. <laughs> and you, yes, you're competing with yourself and uh, and collaborating with the team. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and and finding out how you can best enhance the the team the team with what you can do. We've got about three minutes till we go to commercial break, and I, and I just okay. wanted to um, ask you because I know you had a a very serious motorcycle accident and. It stopped you going on tour with uh, one of my my favourite bands because I, I was quite yeah. shocked when I read this Pink Floyd. And yeah, mine too. I wonder how you dealt with that that low point. That was a tough time. Um, I had I had the accident which uh, really mangled up my right leg pretty badly and 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 unfortunately broke uh, well damaged the finger. Um, and the call to go out with Pink Floyd came, I think. I think uh, it was actually a week after I'd had the accident. I'd just been let out of hospital and gone home. I was sitting there with my leg in plaster, and Tim Rennick called and said, do you fancy coming out on this long tour with Pink Floyd? And that was tough. The toughest thing, the toughest thing about all that was that it took a very long time to heal. I had to have bone grafts. I was out of action for 18 months. Um, the finger took about, it had to be worked on a few times, that took a, a, about nine months. So I couldn't play for a long time. And I definitely suffered a loss of confidence, uh, which took me some time after that 18 months to, to, to build up and, and get out and play. I had some very good mates who helped me get out and play. And uh, that was a tough time. The other thing about that, which was mostly really, really important to me, is that I suddenly realized how fragile it was. I could lose it all. I, it was possible that I might not be able to play again. And that was a very scary moment, actually. And I think I've been a bit careful, a bit more careful ever since. Um, difficult time, difficult time, Chris, but managed to get through it in the end. Uh, we've got about a minute minute left um, uh-huh. commercial break, but I just wonder you know what's your what's your recommendation to people who are maybe dealing with a low point right now um, I think gosh, I think 
uh, for me, I it was hard to think about what I'd achieved before in a way because I was scared that I might not be able to to achieve it again. But then, as as my health started to improve, and I was able to play again, I knew that I could still play, and for me, that was enough at that point that I could still play. I knew then that I could get back in the game. And I knew if I could get back in the game, I'd be happy whatever I achieved after that point because I'd still be playing. So it's worth to hang in there and get back in and see what happens. So there's actually a, a bit of a, a silver lining. Did you appreciate things more when you were back playing again than maybe you did before? Most definitely, Chris. Yeah, most definitely. That was quite a quite an important moment actually great we're gonna um have a chat about your you know biggest highlights uh, and also um we'll find out a bit more about um, what you're currently doing after the after the break we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes become our friend on facebook post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for-profit or not. Listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, uh, this is Chris Cooper again of Be More, Achieve More. I'm with Chris White, uh, the saxophonist with uh, bands such as uh, Dire Straits. And uh, Chris, we were talking um, about, you know, I think appreciating uh, what you have more when something comes, a, you know, a crisis occurs, like happened with your motorcycle accident. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. You know, I think you were you were reflecting on on that, and uh, and you just had one or two little points during the break that we might want to just quickly share, maybe. Yeah, and I was just uh, talking about. It. I haven't really thought about it for a long time, Chris, and and just talking about it made me realise that. That, that perhaps before the accident, and you know, you get successful and you, you're kind of charging along doing what you do, and maybe maybe you 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 lose sight, you take for granted what you what you do and what what it is that you you've been working for, and that that accident, I remember that accident, and and suddenly thinking that I might not be able to do it again, really, really woke me up a little bit and 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 made me think this. Playing saxophone is something I absolutely love, and I don't want anything to stop me doing it. So it was a, it was a kind of a, it wasn't a pleasant time at all, but it was it was something worthwhile about about that. Good. Uh, now, you know, dealing with change can be tough for for anyone, and in whatever industry or um, or 
whatever environment people are living in uh, who are listening to this, then you know I'm sure you've had uh, a lot of experience with uh, with different change. And you know the the music industry is is changing significantly. I wonder how are you learning to adapt to it? Uh, it's changed hugely um, over the last 10, 10, 12 years or so. Absolutely hugely. Really. Really, with the advent of the internet and and how people can access music, I think uh, it's changed. It's changed how that and technical advances. It's changed how recording is done. You can make an album in your in your bedroom now. You can make a perfectly good album in your bedroom. So the the changes have been that there's less there's really less volume of work for players um, in terms of recording now. Uh, which means that really live work has become much more important. Uh, and also it's become more important because we're kind of getting to grips a bit with, with uh, piracy and, give, and free downloads. But even so, the traditional, the traditional routes of business, record sales and CD sales, are just in kind of free-fall decline, really. So it is about how how you make how you make the game work for you, how you make playing still give you a living, and it's much much tougher now. But you know, along with that, I think the internet in particular opens up a whole whole array of possibilities for musicians. You, you now have the opportunity to be really in really almost direct contact with your fan base and with and people who want to hear your music. And you can, you know, through Facebook and, and, and websites and stuff, you can, you can present your music, you can, you can grow that uh, and, and nurture that, that contact so that, uh, with, your, with your fans and people who, who want to hear you play. And I think that's a really, that's a really exciting thing. And there's a, a lot of great, great new music out there being played live now. Young guys, my son's just just started in the business. He's also a sax player. He's out. He's out playing in bands, playing blues bands, doing festivals. He's not earning a lot of money at the moment, but he's having a ball, and that's the apprenticeship. So, the, it, it's still it's still possible to make it all work and and, and be exciting. Uh, it's just a different way of doing it. it it's interesting, isn't it? The, the things like Facebook and Twitter. Where you know some people who would be perceived, uh, you know, perceived as uh, celebrity, uh, would have been you wouldn't have had a way to actually contact and communicate with them. And now through these these uh, media, you can have more of a, you know, more of a personal relationship if the person's got the time to respond. Of course. Yes. No. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I, I'm I'm kind of new to it. I have to confess. Um, but it's it's something which I, I I tweet a little bit on the on the straits. Uh, Twitter page and and uh, I've I've got my Facebook site now which I'm going to go back to and do some more stuff on and I think it's really exciting you know we we had um, Alan Clark from 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 the Straits keyboard player he he had somebody who really didn't like the idea that we were we were now out playing those tracks and there was some quite strong exchanges of views on the website and it, it came to a point where we were playing this guy's town. So Alan just said, why don't you just come along and see for yourself? Come along as my guest. Come and see what we're doing. Come and see how good we are. Make your mind up on, on that basis. The guy came along, came backstage afterwards, and just said, I'm so sorry. It was a fantastic show. It's brilliant. 
<laughs> and it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing moment because this guy had been so opposed to what we were doing. And he came and saw it. But you couldn't do that. You, couldn't do, you wouldn't be able to do that before because there'd be no way of, of, of finding out that that was going on for somebody. Yeah, amazing. I wonder what's been your, the highlight of your career so far. I mean, what, what are you most proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, well, well, I'm proud of my association with Dire Straits and the Straits. And, I, and of course, Live Aid, Live Aid was an amazing day. It was an amazing event in terms of music and in terms of the world and, and, and humanity, really, I think. Uh, so I was, it was also my 30th birthday. Um, that, that, was a, that was a fantastic day. To be involved in that was great. I also loved being involved in the Mandela concert, um, which was a few, a few years after that. And uh, I, I really, actually, I enjoyed that gig, the Mandela gig, more just because we were a bit older and a bit more relaxed or something. I don't, I, I don't know. But that was, that was a really great day. I have to say... I got the chance to play with Ray Charles once in Paris <laughs> mm. and he was just is still uh, a big hero, a big idol of mine. And the, the chance to go and be on stage with that legend was just, uh, they paid me, but man, I'd have paid. I'd have happily paid to go and do that one. That was, a, that was a great thing. That was a great thing. Musically, you mentioned it earlier. I'm I'm really really happy with uh, the the solo on Romeo and Juliet. That 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 kind of came out of nothing. We were in rehearsal for the Brothers in Arms tour. There was no saxophone on Romeo and Juliet. The band was playing it. I'd picked my sax up. Mark stopped singing. And very cheekily, I thought I'd love to play on this. So I just started playing, and they kept going, and nobody said shut up. So I kept going and we got to the end of this little bit and I stopped playing where it felt natural. The band stopped and Mark kind of went, huh, I think we'll have that then. And that was it. It was in. And uh, I love playing that. I love playing that track. So, so that wasn't planned at all. It just, it was spontaneous. It was. I jumped in. There was a hole. He stopped, he stopped singing. <laughs> Don't stop singing if I'm around. Because <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start playing. Yeah, no, it wasn't planned. I just wanted to play. I loved it. I loved the track. I loved the original version of it, and I just, I just wanted to play on it. it sounds, so that's, that's on the On the Night album, isn't it? Because I, I actually put yeah. that and listened to that. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's the live versions. It's on, on the live versions. from. Yeah, that's right. The On the Night one is, is, is the one. Brilliant. <laughs> So, so I, you know, I hear the Straits are fabulous, fabulous acts, and I, I wonder huh. will Dire Straits with Mark Knopfler ever perform, or, or should we not worry because we've now got um, the best thing? Well, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, I actually, I'm really proud of the Straits. I think, I think we have we have some we have some great musicians in that band. Steve Ferroni, drummer with uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, done Average White Band, loads and loads of stuff. Mickey, we've managed to get some great players together and the band performs with real energy and that's great. Mark is on record. Mark is, he's just got a solo album. He's just releasing a solo album now and he will be touring that. He decided he wanted to do other stuff and that's absolutely right. That's the development, isn't it? That's what, uh, that's what happens with, with creative people. They move on to something else. 
And he's on record as saying he, he has no interest in ever playing uh, those, those dire straits tunes again. He does a couple in his set, but he does them in a very different way now. Um, so as far as I can see, dire straits will not happen again. And that's what, that's what Mark has said too. The straits is out there and people really seem to be enjoying hearing it. Can you record a new album? There's right. Yeah, people are writing. We're we're writing. Um, you know, Dire Straits. That was those were all Mark songs. He wrote all all of that material. So actually, the benchmark is set very high. But uh, we are all writing. We and there's some exciting stuff there. We are planning to record it, um, and. We'll then, I guess, present it probably through the internet initially and just direct fans to it if they're interested, see what they think. So, yeah, definitely there are plans plans for original material from the Straits. Fantastic. We'll have to keep in post. I just wonder, we've got about a minute left, and I wondered uh, if you've got any final messages you'd like to leave people with about maybe about following your passion and or making the most of your life. Oh, gosh. Um yeah, I think it's very important if you if you if you are passionate about something, if something comes along, I think I think it's very I think you kind of almost ignore it at your peril, you know. Uh, certainly for me, if I'd not chased saxophone and being a musician, I, I know I'd I, I'd uh, I'd have ended up feeling a very dissatisfied person. In, and 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 it take you have to be a bit brave, you know. Don't. Th- don't give in to fear. Fear is the one thing that holds us back, really. Um, don't be afraid. What can go wrong? What, what, can you, what can go wrong? Just get in there and, and try to do it if you're passionate about something. I think I, I was really lucky. I found something when I was really young. So you, when you're really young, you've you kind of got nothing to lose because the world's all, all there in front of you, you know. So I guess it gets a bit harder as you get older, but I think there's probably even more reason to to chase stuff if, if you're a bit older, because possibly time's getting a bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's a way of taking control of your life, Chris, isn't it? Instead of life taking control of you. And if you're lucky enough to find something, just chase it. Fantastic. Well, Chris Chris White, thanks so much for being on the show. Been a fascinating talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed. Being- I have. I have, Chris. Thank you very much for asking me to come on your show. You're very welcome. And to, to find out more about Chris White, go to www.chriswhite-saxophone.com. Uh, to keep in touch with the latest, the Straits touring schedules, etc., check out www.thestraits.com. That's S-T-R-I-A-I-T-S.com. And um, also, if you want to um, sort of uh, follow um, Chris and on his Facebook page, that's Chris White saxophone um on facebook so if you have any questions or feedback please do send um an email to chris at be more achieve more.com i leave it on my facebook page facebook.com slash be more achieve more and as i've mentioned uh, you can just do subscribe to the be more achieve more.com newsletter and i'll keep you posted on on new shows uh, uh, chris white um, thank you very much again and uh, it's been a, an absolute pleasure thank you very much chris it's been uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you take care thank you We thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.